and welcome back. First episode for three weeks back in England. Feels amazing to be back. I did 3,800 miles over to Morocco and back and enjoyed every day, but it's also something brilliant just about getting back home, getting your bike back home and just, just enjoying being back home. A few little coffee runs, maybe do a little bit of work on the bike. There's a joy in that as well. I like it. Very excited and especially as summer is just around the corner. Thank you everyone as always for getting in touch. Comments, just fascinating reading the insight from people. So for anyone who's interested in a specific topic, again, please carry on getting involved and have a look at the comments section as well because people leave some really, really useful bits of insight, information, and you often have polar opposite opinions, a clashing slash discussing certain topics. So please carry on getting in touch. And again, email hi at choosethatdobs.com. I begin with a treat three bikes for the week this week. And it begins from the Birchwood biker who said to me, Freddie, take a look at my Kawasaki KLE 500. Birchwood biker, give me your opinion. This isn't a bike I've ever come across. And it's, I looked immediately to see what this, this old Kawasaki is all about. And it is a beautiful bike. Think Honda Transalp, but Kawasaki's equivalent. That classic 1990s style, the whole top half of it, plastic, and then the bottom half pretty much completely naked, very much of its time, but it's aged. I'm looking on eBay now, beautifully well. I hope there would be more available in the UK, but I've only managed to find two of these. There's a 1991 model, eBay, £1,850 from a dealer, lovely conditioned bike, spoked wheels, high exhaust sitting just behind the rear plastic fairing with a green, a lime green Kawasaki seat that just drops down and lifts back up again. Classic early 90s, almost graffiti style artwork just on the front of the fairing and it looks completely superb. And in my eyes, to get one of these for £1,850, a bike that looks so good, I think that's a really, really good deal. If I had space in a garage, I really honestly think I'd buy that. That or the original Transalp. Both rare in the UK, but they will age or they have aged like fine wines. They're beautiful. Next up, I was in Barcelona, just outside the apartment we were staying. Uh, and a bike pulls up at the traffic lights. I look over and it is an imposing, purposeful looking bike, just rumbling away. Uh, understated, nothing too crazy sound wise, but uh, it's got a real presence, this bike. It's a BMW and I took a closer look and I was squinting across the road looking quite weird. And it's a BMW K1300S, not the most common bike to see on the streets. And I liked it so much, I, I wrote it down on my iPhone under the notes section. I just wrote down K1300S podcast. Got back to the apartment in Barcelona. And I, I immediately went on to Facebook Marketplace and Auto Trader to have a look at these. Well, this is a lot of bike for the money. 162 German horses. Price, well this, let's have a look. Price in December 2014, because I like to check Bike Magazine for old prices. This is the furthest back it will go. 2014 December, price when new, 12 and a half 
thousand pounds. So this is a serious bike, especially when new. This was an expensive bike. I went onto Facebook Marketplace. I found a 2011 model, so admittedly slightly older than the model I found, but the same bike, 12 years old, 43,000 miles on the clock, in white, looks seriously good, 4,300 pounds. Let me put this into perspective, because I said last week that a lot of bikes, often if the more expensive you buy, the harder they will fall price-wise. And that's the case here, because although it's nothing crazy, depreciation-wise, it's lost, let's say, 8,000 pounds in the past 12 years. Well, that's absolutely fine. Nothing wrong with that at all. But bear in mind, this was almost exactly the same price in 2014 as the Harley-Davidson Fat Bob. The Harley-Davidson Fat Bob, let me put it here, 12,800, 12,895 pounds when new, 2014. BMW K1300S, about 12,500 pounds when new. Whereas the BMW has lost 8,000 pounds over the past nine years, the Fat Bob, Harley, now the cheapest I could find, 9,500 pounds. So the Harley is a good 5,000 pounds more to buy now than the BMW, although they started their life at pretty much the same price. Nine and a half grand is depreciated 3,000 pounds in nine years, and that is Harley Davidson depreciation. Let me do a final one. I couldn't resist this because I could not believe this Triumph, which is a hugely desirable bike, is now so affordable. And I can't believe I'm saying this, it's a Triumph T120. These have now dropped, if you're lucky, to about the 5,000 pound mark. I found one from John Riley's Motorcycles in Southeast London, 44,000 miles on the clock. So some may say that that seems high, but that is nothing for a bike that's got an engine the same size as a car, but doesn't have to pull any of that weight around at all. That will go on for the rest of your life. And it's 5,475 pounds for a seven-year-old Bonneville T120. That is completely unmissable. Lovely two-tone tank, white on the bottom, black on the top, spoked wheels, pea shooter exhausts, it looks superb. Grab that bike for the summer. Let me move on. Earplugs, the conversation from last week. I, I was saying that my ears after, after riding the, the Royal Enfield Classic 500 in Bali with no earplugs, oh, the ringing in my ears was just awful. I was almost wincing every mile I was riding on that bike without earplugs because I knew I was doing some damage. Uh, and I wanted to hear your opinions on this to see what everyone thought. I had a huge amount of input, so thank you so much for all of that. I'm trying to share a concise list of a range of different thoughts on this. So have a listen. Freddie, earplugs. I'm 58 years old. I've been riding on the street since 16. A few periods without a bike, but not many. I never even thought about earplugs. And now the hearing doctor says I have significant nerve damage in my ears. I got the first set of hearing aids and I'm trying to be diligent about wearing earplugs anytime I ride. Still, 
Many times uh, I'm a few miles down the road and I realize that I forgot to put them in. So do I stop and have the hassle of that or do I just keep riding? So far I've chosen the second option. But to all of those riders who still have their hearing, get in the habit of wearing earplugs. Dave. Next, Freddie. I've been using I've been using happy earplugs for the last year or so. They're super comfortable for my ears and claim to reduce the noise by 25 decibels. Have a set of custom earplugs from Etimotic on the way from my doctor. I'll let you know how they get on. David from Canada. Moving on to Steve. I tried Auratech earplugs, the same as what I've got. I paid 21 pounds, but I found them useless. I now buy two parts silicon and make my own custom fit earplugs. A couple of people said this. So you buy your own two parts silicon, you buy custom earplug kit, I guess. The silicon is readily available and just requires equal quantities of the two packs to be mixed and then pushed into the outer ear canal. Five minutes later, you have a pair of perfectly fitting earplugs. It's also interesting, Steve, thanks for that. What you say about Auratech, the ones I use, which are the ones that come in that little case, you just push them into your ear, they're reusable, but they're by no means custom. Because on the way back from, from Spain, I thought I would try to buy a pair of the, the disposable ones, the squidgy ones that you roll up, put in your ear, like the Formula One drivers use. So I went to a pharmacy in, in Spain to buy them, used them, put them in my ear and rode back. And I could notice the, the reduction in air, wind, surrounding noise coming from, from using these squidgy ones compared to my Auratech earplugs. And the ringing in my ear after riding was pretty much zero after using these. So after doing that side-by-side -side experiment, I do actually probably rate the, the squidgy ones more than the Auratec ones because they do cancel out a lot more noise. And to the best of my knowledge, the Formula One racers use those and they have hugely loud levels of noise. And I think they even use the squidgy ones. So if it's good enough for them, then it's definitely good enough for me. Moving on to Michael. Molded custom earplugs, best investment I made to my ears. Next, Alpine earplugs, 20 pounds, come with a small cone and liquid cleaning agent, comes with two types of filters, high slash medium noise environment, works great with music and com communications, only cutting out harmful wind frequencies. My 76-year-old mum, as a pillion, confirms she feels much less tired with earplugs in after a long ride versus wearing no earplugs at all. This I find especially interesting. The last sentence, 76-year-old mum feels much less tired when wearing earplugs. That's a bit that often goes unnoticed. When I'm wearing earplugs, I feel exactly the same. It, it makes me feel much fresher when getting off the bike. I feel if I'm wearing earplugs after a long ride, get off the bike, earplugs out, put them away. I feel completely fresh. But if I do the exact same journey, which I've done before, not wearing earplugs if I've forgotten them, 
you, you feel more mentally shattered from that noise constantly always in your ear. So that's a really good point. I find it does keep you much sharper having the earplugs in because it's, it's a much more relaxing ride. I'll do a couple more. Uh, Freddie, I'd like to recommend plugs custom molded in red car. They're 60 pounds and I bought the kind with a filter which allows the sound of traffic, voices and intercom again, which blocks harmful noises. And final one here, someone saying they swear by the ones that I've just started using again, the, the disposable roll-up ones. Although John Wood has said that he, he just washes them and they're effectively reusable, reusable as well. 12 months on and I'm still on my first pair. I'm cheap, I know, but it, if, if it ain't broke, don't change it. John, I may actually try that. I've never tried washing them. I move on to a new topic. Freddie, what bike would you buy if you trade in the Bonneville? I'm considering, or are you considering the combination of long distance and urban riding for the next bike? Yeah, especially after doing the Africa trip. It doesn't specifically change my desire for a new bike because hand on heart, the Bonneville's perfect. Zero fatigue from being in an uncomfortable position. I found it like sitting on a sofa. I did a 17 hour day, a, an 11 hour day and a 10 hour day and I could jump off the bike with zero pain. For me, it's one of the most comfortable bikes I've ever ridden. I could just sit on the motorway. I could do some soft off-roading, twist after twist, all day comfort. Whereas I remember on my, my Triumph Speed Triple, super naked bike. And this goes for all of my friends when we used to go out if we had sportier bikes. You'd be riding along, maybe done two hours riding or something like that. And bear in mind, I was a good 10 years younger then maybe eight years, nine years younger, jump off the bike and you'd be, oh, oh God, no, no. You'd be stretching and moving around because they are seriously uncomfortable after a while, but I've never once had that on the Bonneville. So the Bonneville's such a good all-rounder. It hasn't specifically made me think about changing bike. However, however, let me play this game with you because I do enjoy any excuse to look at different bikes. And, and it did give me a bit of food for thought if I were ever to change my Bonneville. I could look at the Bonneville T120, for example, the 1200cc version, and that's lovely. But is that just too similar to my current Bonneville? Should I mix it up a bit? Then you've got the Speedmaster. Well, that's lovely, but... The pannier solutions, the systems on the Speedmaster, I don't know if they've got enough big pannier systems that would allow for longer distance travel. I think they may sit at a slight angle, so I'd need to check if there's an aftermarket pannier company for the Speedmaster that would allow for a good amount of luggage. Because for me, an essential for my bike, it must have good panniers because I hate carrying a backpack, but I like being able to easily just chuck anything into a pannier and it's got to be a pannier that opens easily. If it's a pannier where I have to unclip and then roll something up and then roll back and close it, I never end up using it. It's got to be a kind of Harley or adventure bike level pannier where it's just clip open, 
done shuttered again. I don't, I don't want just a, a simple canvas folding one because it takes too long to be getting stuff in and out. And that means I'm looking for a specific bike. I'm looking for a bike that can accommodate nice looking hard panniers, but they've still got retro styling. And that leads me down a Harley Davidson path. And I know I always end up getting led down there, but the likes of a Harley Davidson Road King, a Harley Davidson Softail Deluxe, because it's significantly different to the Bonneville and it's got very, very good luggage solutions, long distance comfort, all day sitting there cruising effortless power. Yeah, I'd be looking at something like a Road King at 9,000 pounds second hand. I haven't actually checked. Let me just see if I can put a good example up here that would fit the bill. But something like that, I think, significantly different. Moving on, a bit of insight from the BMW R18. That's BMW's big cruiser. Fred, this is from Stuart. Freddie, you don't need to go second hand to buy a good value BMW R18. Two months ago, I bought a brand new, pre-registered in 2002, BMW R18 for £13,000. Bear in mind, I think they are, what did I say, £16,000 or so new, maybe even a bit more. Well, Stuart has picked up a brand new one for 13 k Plus, they gave me a great price on my Harley. Also interesting, Stuart, you've traded your Harley for the BMW. Fascinating. You just need to shop around, especially if the new bike you're after hasn't sold that well. Let me now cross to the other side of the pond. Let me cross to the US. Have a, a bit of a listen to some US insight. This is from DIY Everyday 67. BMW cannot give away the R18 in the States. Brand new R18s are selling for 10 to 11,000 US dollars. That's a six to seven thousand pound discount on the new price. So they're selling them brand new for 67K discount. The top of the range, transcontinental R18s have 10,000 pound discounts and can be had for around 18,000 US dollars. Someone replied to this and I may have missed out a few of the chats, but this just gives a, a brief overview on this conversation. Next comment. Everyone knows Harley-Davidson have been bailed out over and over again by the American government. They have had serious difficulties over the decades. Certainly some in the media and a number of Harley-Davidson fanboys have done a number on the BMW R18, especially on YouTube. The reply, I'm very familiar with Harley-Davidson struggles. I will never own one. My neighbor has an R18. He trades out motorcycles like I trade out socks. If you want my opinion, they're beautiful bikes and I would buy an R18 over a Harley Davidson if I were in the market for a cruiser. The intent of my message was to inform the audience of R18 pricing in the US and struggles BMW have had moving them. Fascinating. I move on. Mr. Dobbs, I've always wanted to ride a motorcycle and I never had and I never have. I've been looking at the T100 Bonneville, my dream bike, and the classic 350 Royal Enfield. After sitting on both, I found I actually like the Royal Enfield more than the Triumph. I want a motorcycle for the fun Sunday rides to get coffee, go for lunch, or just experience the countryside. I do not 
block capitals, want to get on the highway and are not looking for a fast, sporty ride, just a fun cruise around town, etc. Lastly, I will admit as much as I, uh, as I want to, I will admit as much as I want to do this, I am a bit afraid of becoming a statistic. I'm admittedly nervous enough that I will probably be wearing high-vis jackets when and if I ride, even though I hate the look. I know with all of the risks, there are things you can do to help. I don't drink and drive, pay attention, etc. All this being said, my questions are as follows, and there are four of them. Number one, is there another bike that I should consider as a beginner bike? No. Royal Enfield Classic 350, look no further. The type of riding you want to do, the kind of style that I can tell that you like, you have no need to look any further than that. Question two, as a new rider, is there a reason to go with the Royal Enfield over the Triumph or vice versa, or is it just price and preference? The build quality of Royal Enfield is now so good that you don't need to go over to Triumph. Triumph build quality is better. Triumphs are also just as easy to ride as Royal Enfields despite the increase in engine size. So both are very easy to ride. You will get a more premium product with Triumph, but you don't need that extra premium product. It's not a necessity because Royal Enfields build quality is more than good enough. So it will come down to personal preference. And that Royal Enfield Classic 350, if that's the bike that you felt best on, go with that. It's also one of the most unique bikes in the market. There's nothing else specifically like the Classic 350 with the way it sits, the way it feels, the way you're positioned on the bike and the styling itself. It's, it's a bike that has no exact competition in my eyes. Question three, any other recommendations for a new rider? There's no replacement for just getting out on the bike and riding yourself. Take it slow and just get out and enjoy it. And remember it is the most beautiful experience that should be fun every time you ride. So enjoy it and you will love it. The only bad experience I had, first day I passed my test, I was riding off to my, my job at about 8 p.m. or something like that. I was heading off to a warehouse where I was working. I had a Honda CB500F. And I was, it was midnight as I was leaving work and I was coming up to a corner and I was going at about 40 miles an hour up to the corner and I just freaked out and I pulled in the clutch. I thought, get around this bend, clutch pulled in. And then I thought, oh no, no, wait, you shouldn't ever just go around freewheeling with the clutch pulled in. So then I quickly let the clutch out and I had a tank slapper going round the bend like that. The bike went slap, slap, slap. First day I got it, I thought I was coming off. And through, and that's because I released the clutch immediately. All of the power just went to the back wheel and it started slapping away. And the only reason I managed to stay on the bike was through no skill of my own. The bike just managed to correct itself. And that would have been very possibly a written off bike. And I, I guess I could have had a broken leg or so. So just take it smooth and steady. Maybe do the first rides by yourself, but you will love it. And biking is as dangerous and as safe 
as you want it to be. It, I really feel this, 99% of biking is up to you how safe you want it to be. In life, you can never control the outside environment, what other people do around you, but you can do everything you can to make sure you're safe. And that a lot comes down to you. If I think of all my near misses on biking, every single one of my near misses on biking is, has all been my fault. So you just have to make sure you're, you're alert. I still make mistakes as an example. I know I still get too close to the car ahead of me. And that's something I, I did a few too many times in Morocco and on the motorways in Spain. Happened a couple of times that opened my eyes a bit when the car in front of me braked. I, I was too close. And I then tried to quickly whiz around the car and I must change that immediately. So just don't get too aggressive and you'll be fine. But don't worry too much about the safety. That will come in time. Take it slow and the most important thing, enjoy it. Lack of aggression and you'll be fine, I promise you. You'll love it. It's there to be enjoyed biking. Question four. Possibly the most important question, can you offer any words of advice and or, encouragement, and or encouragement to help a new rider with the nerves of getting on a bike and making sure that they stay as safe as possible? Okay, well, I've kind of answered that. But the most important thing, biking is about passion, the feeling of freedom, enjoyment, being outside by yourself. And there is no greater argument for biking than that. It's pure living, being at one with yourself, the bike, just living every day and every second that you get on the bike. It's about turning the most mundane ride into an adventure. And that, that is all the motivation you need, I promise you, to get out there and enjoy biking because it is pure, pure living at its very finest. And every day that you can bike, makes even the simplest day fantastic. It's that little, little area of guaranteed joy, a ray of sunshine every day. Welcome to biking. Thank you, Dave. I move on. Freddie, I'm 36 years old. I've now been biking for six years, starting purely to make the, the static lines of traffic uh, during the commute somewhat more bearable. I picked up a 125cc Chinese bike and off I went. But no more than a month later, I was completely besotted with biking and I went through my direct access scheme and got myself my first big bike, a 2006 Suzuki GSR 600. It's done me well to commute. Starts every time, it's smooth, well balanced and delivers good power. It's a great beginner bike. However, it's not my style in the slightest. So two years ago, I picked up my dream, a Yamaha XSR 700 in green. It's a good choice. I know these bikes, they look lovely. SC Project Exhaust, JBL headlights, indicators, fork shrouds. It looks perfect. However, for the last two years, I've put less than a thousand miles on it because I can't bring myself to use it in the more inclement conditions. She just looks too nice. So recently I've been thinking, what's next? And I've come up with a plan. Sell the XSR Garage Queen. Sell the GSR Commuter and get myself a do-it-all. I can only really justify and afford one bike in the garage. Now, rather like you, I thought the only way was up. 
So my searching was limited to CC above my current stable. That's above a 700cc bike. Thinking that with my experience, it now warrants at least a litre bike. But a long, hard think over, over the last six months, along with lots of resonation with comments uh, from you, your listeners, uh, that have been made, has made me realise a few things. Number one, 95% of riding is a commute for me. 4% is an impromptu jaunt, no more than an hour or two away. And just 1% is a planned ride out, maybe a night away. Number two, I commute for 30 minutes. A litre bike would never get used close to its potential and I'm committed all year round. So perfect and pristine will bring more worry than enjoyment. Number three, physical size. Well, the presence and style of the bike is more important than the speed and power. Number four, I love the XSR to pieces. The engine is the right amount of power for me. I'm not needing more horsepower, nor am I good enough to use it or maximize it. And number five, I need a bike that I like the look of and one that can get away with looking a bit muddy and mucky. So what did I land on? Last weekend, I bought myself a new to me Yamaha Teneri 700. It has all the torque and character of the XSR 700. It's got large presence on the road, which is great for my 16 stone weight. And importantly, I can't wait to get it out of the garage each day, even if it's just to commute in the week. It's been great to feel that I'm not the only one who's readjusted my belief that bigger is better and that actually moving to the right bike for me for right now is the right way to go. Paul in Devon. Paul, let me have a look at these. Yamaha Teneri. These are lovely bikes. Teneri 700 Yamaha, brand new 10,100 pounds. And you can get, you can get a used Teneri, two years old, 700cc, beautiful with red and white tank, really nice, 7,300 pounds, 72 horsepower, 690cc adventure bike. These are one of my favourite bikes, Paul, the, as from the adventure bike category. I think these look brilliant. Every time I look at these Teneri 700s, I automatically think that I would be entering the Dakar rally, just bouncing up and down over the sand dunes. I think they look superb. Really, really, I'm a huge fan of these bikes. And this is exactly it. Paul did a thousand miles in two years on the XSR. So it wasn't the right bike for Paul, but then you find the right bike that fits and we all have a different bike that fits with our lifestyle and our needs. And if you find that right bike that fits for your lifestyle, you will bike infinitely more and enjoy biking so much more. It will just open up the kind of biking that you like and it opens a whole new world up of enjoyment for biking. Paul, thank you for sharing it. And that's a really, really nice choice. I'm a huge fan of those. I'm going to end it with this one. Mr. Sin, the UK. Freddie, with regards to insurance, I appreciate that as far as the insurance company is concerned, your bike is not high value, but I'm still surprised you only have third party fire and theft as opposed to fully comprehensive insurance. 
I wouldn't have thought the extra would be that great and probably worth it. Also, protecting the no claims bonus and the excesses on insurance can alter the premium significantly. I would say, however, from experience, that protecting the no claims bonus is a red herring, as in, as in the event of a claim, fault or no fault, all they do is put up the premium to compensate. To answer the first one, why am I only third party fire and theft? Just to give you all an overview, fully comprehensive, the best insurance, that covers you even if it's your fault, the insurance company will pay for you to get a new bike. Third party fire and theft is one down from that. If someone crashes into me and it's their fault, their insurance will cover my bike. If someone steals my bike or burns my bike, insurance covers it. But if I crash into a brick wall over there and it's my fault, the insurance company won't cover won't cover a penny for my own bike. The only reason I've done this traditionally, only gone for third party fire and theft, is to save a bit of money on top of the fact my bike isn't worth a lot. And also, I always think, because my bike's cheap, if I get into not too serious a crash, I would rather try and fix my bike myself than tell the insurance company because the insurance companies, the second you claim of any type, your insurance get, gets boosted up so much. However, uh, I will happily admit that I think actually I'm probably wrong with that. I think it's probably better to get fully comp and I'm probably penny pinching and it will end up biting me in in the backside eventually. So. I will probably next year go fully comp because I think it's a bit foolish of me, to be honest. I'm, I'm going to end on this a little bit here because this is a, a very useful point you make. Protecting your no claims bonus with an insurance company, I will confirm and agree with you, it's a total waste of money. My dad, for example, I think a few years ago he tried protecting his no claims bonus and then he had to make a claim on insurance for a little, a little dent on the car called up the insurance company and, uh, and said, yes, I've had a, a little crash. And, and the insurance company said to him, okay, that's fine, you got protected, no claims bonus. Gets to the end of that insurance year, my dad goes to, to renew his insurance and the insurance company boosts up the premium hugely. And my dad says, well, I've got protected, no claims bonus. I've still got my five years, no claims bonus paid extra for that, so surely that, that does something. I've got five years no claims bonus. And the insurance companies reply, well, yeah, but you still crashed, so you still made a claim. There's no point. There is no point. I think it's a con. I really do, and I'll end on that really, really negative note. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Thank you always, always for all of the insights and input. I appreciate all of it. Have a fantastic week all. I'll speak to you all in the next one.